0: Hello, everyone. Today, I'm speaking with Jumi Kim. As a matter of fact, we recorded this conversation uh, a couple of weeks ago. Jumi had a interesting uh, article published on her Substack back in May, drawing some parallels between the war in Iraq and the propaganda leading up to it, and some of the things we're seeing today in narratives around COVID or around Ukraine. So I wanted to get her on the podcast and talk about how we make sense from the world in today's information climate. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Welcome to the Fresh Lens Podcast where we read books and discuss ideas that change the way we see the world.
1: I'm Trish Vino.
0: And I'm Hirad Motaman.
1: And we are your hosts.
0: Thanks for joining me, Jumi, to talk about the state of making sense of the world. You had a piece a while ago in your Substack that got me really interested in talking to you about that, which was kind of the parallels of the Iraq war propaganda and the kinds of narratives that we're seeing right now, which kind of meshes in with a lot of the themes we've been covering on Fresh Lens. But maybe before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got into writing your Substack publication?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'm from New York and I did a PhD at Rutgers University, where uh, I did research on manipulating algae to make lipids for biodiesel. And then I worked in tech for a while, for a few years. And and then I joined Alessandros Marinos' startup, Good Loops, recently. And I just got into the Substack because there were some things about the COVID pandemic and and the vaccines in particular uh, that. Just weren't making sense to me, and I just did some fact checks about some things, and especially about the the spike protein. You know, I just saw, you know, there's all these articles and fact check articles saying that the spike protein is not harmful. You know, it's safe and all these things, and that's just not true. There's like peer reviewed literature, you know, showing all kinds of evidence that it's harmful, and I couldn't believe that more people didn't know about this. So I just started writing about it.
0: Right. And to kind of like pull on that thread a little bit, what was it that gave you confidence that what you were finding out on your own was more correct than than kind of the mainstream narrative that was out there?
1: Well, for one thing, it's not like I was the only one saying this, right? So like, I heard Robert Malone say this on the Dark, Ho- Dark Horse podcast. I mean, it would feel strange if I were truly the only person thinking this. But it, it was also just, like I said, it, it was in, there's like a bunch of articles, a bunch of studies on it. Right. And there are some studies where like, you know, maybe you need to be within that particular field in order to interpret it. But, you know, a lot of these were like, where almost anyone can see that there, there's something that, you know, like there was one, for example, where they gave mice some pseudovirus, like it was just like a sort of a fake virus with like just spike protein on the surface you know and then like they had the i think there were hamsters maybe they had them breathe it breathe them in you know and there were just like clearly physiological things happening with the mice right so it's not like you need to be some kind of an expert to be like okay that doesn't look good you know right. so it's not like yeah and just the fact that there were multiple studies as well like if it were one you know maybe it'd be like okay maybe that's not a big deal so it's like it's multiple pieces of evidence you know multiple studies and then also people who are also experts, you know, saying this, you know, and then also seeing them get censored. It's like, okay, what's going on, you know? Right. So, yeah.
0: And so with with the research that you've done so far, like what do you think is going on at this point?
1: (laughs) Good question. I don't know. You know, there's, there are certain things I'm more confident in and there are other things where like I set the probability is like, I don't know, 50, 50. Right. So, Things I'm confident in, right, is that okay, I think censorship is definitely happening, right? Censorship of dissident scientists or people who talk about, you know, vaccine safety and things like that. I think that the I think that there's enough evidence from all over the place that the COVID vaccines are not as safe as our officials tell us. But I don't know what the true rate of adverse events are. I'm not as certain about that, right? Right. So and then when it, when it comes to bigger picture things like how intentional is this or do the pharma execs know that they are harming more people than you know what the officials say like it's really hard to say my guess would be yes but like I'm less sure about these things you know I don't know these people you know even if I knew them it's like sometimes you don't really know people even if you think you know them so it's So there's different layers of certainty, you know, but what I am certain of are, like, these things that I've seen in these studies that are, like, don't leave so much open to interpretation, honestly, you know, and the fact that there's, like, multiple types of evidence pointing to that, like, to things not
0: being safe yeah i would say i think i think anyone who listens to the podcast knows that i'm i'm definitely biased to agree with you but i'll play a bit of a devil's advocate because i've had these conversations with other people that talk about you know like doing your own research is something that in some circles is actually looked upon as a foolish thing to be to be trying to do and the, the kind of the comment that you will hear is hey you've got all these experts who are telling you one thing who are you to go and and like decide that you can make sense of this in, this information better like sure maybe you can cherry pick a few studies here and there but but there are all these doctors from around the world all these health authorities who are telling you you should be taking the vaccines and they're like they're safe and effective why do you get to go against that Is, isn't that the dunning-kruger effect where you're not an expert and you think that you are qualified to comment on on this area
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. By the way, I'm so tired of hearing about the Dunning-Kruger effect.
0: <laughs> um, actually, one of the I'll, I'll, be- best yeah. things I've discovered about the Dunning-Kruger effect is that the, Dunning- the popular conception of it is actually completely detached from what the study actually showed, but that's a separate conversation.
1: Okay, yeah, I'd like to hear about that. But, so anyway, I'm, I'm a big believer in doing your own research, by the way. It, it's not that I don't think that things can go awry when you go outside of a field that you don't know a lot about in. Of course they can, you know, but it's also just completely false that that experts don't get it wrong, right? There's just many times in history where like, they, like the majority of experts got it wrong. And also in this case, we have experts who are dissenting from the sort of mainstream view, you know, so it's not like there aren't any out there, right? Like I would be questioning myself more if there weren't, you know, other like very smart people who... We're saying like similar things, you know. But the other thing I'll say is, yeah, this thing about don't do your own research. This is such a huge pet peeve of mine. It's just, it just encourages this like passivity, you know. And it honestly puts just like I said before, it just puts too much trust in experts as if they're infallible or not susceptible to groupthink. Like not just groupthink, but also there's careerism and. There's corruption too, you know, but like even putting that aside, like I, I've seen it myself, like within scientists where they, there's like this group think and they just can't think outside of like a really narrow sort of vision, you know. And I mean, one thing I, I know for certain is that like biology is definitely much more complicated than like these cartoons we get shown on like the CDC websites you know about how the mRNA vaccines work and by the way I I took the vaccines you know I took two doses of Moderna so this was before like I was really like aware of much of this and I regret it now now that I know more about the vaccines, but looking back I just like kick myself because I'm like I should have known better like that that there were some things about this that seemed like really simplistic you know like when it comes to immunology and all these other things but yeah it's like if you just look at history, you know there's just been so many times when like experts were wrong or like we just thought something was simpler in biology and it wasn't, you know. Yeah. So like, why, why is it so surprising that it could be different this time? You know.
0: I think one of the things that definitely helped me, it it, it primed me for being willing to be take a more critical look. Here is was having worked in a really large corporation for the for the first time in my life so i spent most of my life working in small startups or just being fully independent Mm -hmm. and and then i went to a big corporation and i saw how the bureaucracy functions we actually talked about this in in the context of bullshit jobs on the podcast where like you start talking about the corporation as a machine and you know that like there are certain things you're supposed to do to play the play the game that everyone's playing in that environment, but nobody's even in charge of it. Everybody did you meet is uh, is supposed to be playing the same game and they're playing it just as helplessly as you. It, like it doesn't matter if they're your boss or they're your <laughs> direct reports. They're just as helpless in like navigating the machine as, as you are. And so like seeing that kind of environment is one of the things that I think primed me psychologically. And I think if you, if this had happened like three or four years ago before I had that experience, I would have said like no no, no like the experts are are fine like they're we gotta listen to them and and I, w- I wouldn't be I wouldn't know all the ways in which really smart people can do really stupid things because of those mm-hmm. the incentive structure that they're they're in and then like I, over the last couple of months when I've looked into this it's like yeah the the, the FDA and the pharmaceutical industries it's like a it's a one career ladder. <laughs> right it's like this is like an old news that they're constantly rotating the same people are rotating through the fda and then like going to the yeah. pharma industry and this was something that was like very you know the progressive leaning people in society were very keen knowledge. to highlight it's- yeah it's common knowledge yeah but somehow yeah. now it's become verboten yeah. to to bring that up
1: well it's like people forgot that <laughs> yeah what you mentioned in corporations, I mean, there's a bit of that in academia, too. You know, I don't know. Right. People seem to think that academic scientists, like they have a very high view of them. And I'm not saying that some of them don't deserve that, you know, and by no means am I saying that all of them are corrupt or all these things. But yeah, the incentives are not necessarily aligned to find the truth. And there's a lot of pressure to publish. And, you know, like if you were an academic and you wanted to publish something that was, you know, showing that some vaccine was not safe. Like it's bad for your career, you know? So yeah. How how is that going to be conducive to, you know, finding out the truth? So,
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I also took two shots of the, of the Moderna before I started getting into all of this, but I think my skepticism was starting to build before I got my second dose. And I think by purely by chance, I dose them so far apart that that I end up I was looking at some of the studies from out of Ontario and I think the cases of some of the side effects like myocarditis seem to go down the longer you space out the doses. So I think I, I accidentally yeah. got lucky on that front. But I, I, at the time it was like being able to travel was really important to me so I was like I'm it's I know there's probably more risk than than they're telling us but uh, I'm going to take it anyway because I need to mm-hmm. need to travel. Um yeah,
1: you know the only reason I I Took it right, but like I had reservations about it. But I thought that it prevented infection, infection you know. And I didn't want you to hadn't get updated like, your dictionary.
0: Yeah. That was so 2019. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I thought that you could get infected, and like I and I never thought that like I I would be at risk of like dying from COVID or some bad outcome just because like my age and all these things. But but I had heard about long COVID. I right. do think it's a real thing. I don't think it's like you know high incidence. But like that that was a thing that I like didn't want to get. So I was thinking about long COVID. That was the only right. reason they got it. But it turns out like there's no real evidence that it like helps prevent that either. So
0: Right. Yeah, yeah I mean I, I was I'm a tech techno optimist, I would say. And I was like, I was very happy that these vaccines were coming out. People were saying, I think I, I heard people talk about the fact that like, hey, these things are being developed in record time. Are they really are they cutting corners in t- terms of safety trials and stuff like that? And in my mind, it was like, no, technology has advanced. It's awesome. And I'm going to be one of the first people to like line up and get it, and then the pandemic's gonna be over. So <laughs> that turned out not to be the case. That then the, the thing the breaking point for me was exactly the point where in British Columbia where I live, we had 87% of the population had gotten their first dose of the eligible population back in August of 2021. And and then the, the health authorities started coming out with more and more draconian measures after having told everyone for months that vaccination is our way out of this. And I was like, really? Like, mm-hmm. So you're, you're telling me that that 13% that didn't get their first dose that are holdouts, they are causing such an issue that... We need to go back into lockdowns. We need to introduce vaccine passports. We need to implement all these things that we didn't implement in the, before, even with ninety percent vaccine uptake. So that that was the point where I started looking into it. I was like, "Well, wait a minute. These are not vaccines. These these are." It's actually part of the reason this the whole narrative of a pandemic of the unvaccinated was just so evil in my mind that it was just totally not true. That was just vilifying a certain portion of the population who I now view as a bit of a societal immune function. I, I think a lot of the people who are like skeptical of authority, they're not always right factually, but they are serving a good function in society now.
1: I agree. I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah. So let's get to the piece that, that really prompted me wanting to talk to you. So we I think you and I are both, both on the same page that, you know things have stopped making sense over the last year and and the more you see these people in positions of authority like in in public health who are doing these things that it doesn't make sense i don't know what incentive exactly they're pursuing or i don't know what political environments exactly are or political forces they're exactly operating under but i do know that the effect of what they're saying and doing is that it's it's unethical at the to the very least to me that all these impositions on people's lives were highly unethical for something that there's very little evidence that it would help anybody but you wrote this piece about the parallels of the parallels today with the propaganda that we were experiencing in the lead-up to the war in iraq and you know it's it really tied into the epistemic uncertainty that we're under like at this point when I hear something from public official, it doesn't matter if it's about public health or otherwise. Especially if they're if it's about public health, but it could be about anything. My level of skepticism has skyrocketed, right? But at the same time, I'm not ready to believe 9/11 was an inside job. There's a lot of there, there's a there's a lot of possibilities that get put on the table once you're willing to entertain certain notions. I think a lot of my my defense mechanisms against conspiracy theories in the past were was some was rooted in some level of trust in in western governments that is increasingly eroded so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah let's i I don't actually have a specific question here. let's maybe talk about that like the the parallels that you saw in like how the public narrative is shaping today with the way it was happening under in the lead up to the war in Iraq. And I'm cu- kind of curious to hear about how you're navigating things today. As and, and, and today, like in in the early 2000s, we just had like 9-11 and the war in Iraq. And that was like the thing for like 10 years. Today, we have like a new thing every month that, that everyone's fired up about. So it's very hard to drink from that fire hose.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I was doing research for that article, it really struck me that so first of all, be, before I started looking into that at all, like writing that article, I had the impression, and I think a lot of people do, that, you know, like most people saw the, that the war in Iraq as just this mistake that we made and we bungled through it, you know, and that like, you know, Bush and, you know, company had more or less the right intentions. And then some people think, okay, no, it was actually about oil, you know, and all this talk about spreading democracy and, you know was maybe an excuse. So some people think that much, right? But a lot of people thought like that Bush believed that there were WMDs, right, in Iraq, that Saddam Hussein had them, you know. But then then I learned only recently when I was doing research for this article that there were all these like leaks that show that all these officials, you know, like in not just the US, but the the UK, like Blair's administration, that they they knew that they were like making stuff up, you know, about these WMDs. And I was pretty surprised to learn this because like I hadn't heard about this. You know, I, I hadn't heard about these leaks and the, these seem like bombshells, right? I specifically remember some of the leaks where he was saying like they're talking about like the way to phrase to the public, you know, about these WMDs, you know, to like kind of fool them, you know, and then they were saying something like, I understand that this isn't going to, you know, fool an expert. I forget exactly how they put it, you know, but this is, this is not for them. You know, it's not going to hoodwink an expert. It's not for them. It's for just like the the type of person who has the news is kind of humming along in the background, you know? So it was, it was more or less, that's what they said, you know? Um, anyway, this was pretty shocking when I, like heard about this, and I was like shocked that that more people hadn't heard about this. None of my friends knew about this, you know, in the in the states. It just got me thinking that like at the time, there were all these dissidents who were saying something, right? from the very beginning that something wasn't right about this whole w and d story but Bush and Cheney were selling us, you know, and they were getting censored just like what we've seen happen recently, not just with Covid, but with Ukraine. I mean, lots of other things too, I'm sure you know so there are par- parallels there but then i also remember i think from some of the leaks they were talking about how there there was or maybe i think it was Matt Taibbi he wrote some article about how one way in which you kind of can fool the public is that you just kind of drown them out in all these, like, technical details, you know, and the result, like, within the the news articles about WMDs, there are all these technical-sounding things about aluminum tubes and things like that, WMDs, and, like, people, it just glazes over, you know, people just don't really understand it, and they just stop caring after a while, you know, and I do feel like, again, that happens with COVID as well. Like, there's just, people can't keep up with all the technical stuff, you know. But, yeah, I mean, just the parallels are just that, like, there are just so many parallels. There are dissidents who were censored, people there there were leaks that should have been bombshells, but like not everybody heard about, right? Which by the way doesn't bode well for like whether there's gonna be some kind of big reckoning when it comes to COVID, you know, like in the future, are people gonna see Fauci as a bad guy? You know? I don't know, because not everybody sees Bush as a bad guy now. You know, they think that he just made mistakes. Okay.
0: Yeah, that's, it's, it's so interesting because uh, I think at the time they definitely saw Bush as a. Bush was seen as a horrible president at the time. And there was a lot of hatred towards him, probably only surpassed by the, the hatred that Trump received. But it's funny that now he has yeah. this like kind of a figure of like an old grandpa that's like just painting and, and kind of like this lovable character. Yes. And, and I, I'm actually curious, these, these leaks that you're talking about, when did they come out? Did they come out in the 2000s or during the Bush presidency? Or was it like long, years and years afterwards?
1: Oh, I don't remember now. I think it was years after, but there was, one was called the Downing Street Memo, and the other was the Chilcot Report. I don't know, I'd have to look it up because I can't remember now, it's been a while. But yeah, I think it was it was later, and that's part of maybe what, what it was, like people just didn't care anymore, maybe. Yeah, and by the way, what you're talking about George W. Bush's, you know, sort of reputation revival, I mean, we've seen similar things happen with a lot of these sort of neocons, like a lot of them who were all for the war in Iraq, you know, they I don't know, it just seems like a lot of Democrats have now embraced them, like because all they had to do was to 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 say that they hate Trump and then like the Democrats right. now love them, you know, despite yeah. the fact that they're neocons. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's oh,
0: crazy 2016, that 2016. yeah,
1: it was the Chilcott report. Twenty
0: sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like the worst time for yeah. for a report like that to come out cuz everyone's whipped up in a frenzy about Trump probably and and no one cares about the war in Iraq anymore but it is pretty crazy that the that yeah. there is absolutely no feedback loop to these things so if you're a public official it's only like you just have to be able to keep this quiet for a certain number of years until people just stop caring and i think at some point the answer is like well what are we going to do prosecute a president over a war in the middle east Yeah.
1: No, it's true. I mean, people are just I mean, I don't blame them to a certain extent, right? It's just there's an overwhelming (laughs) amount of information. And then people just stop keeping track of it. But it's also like it's the media. It's like this is the type of thing that should have been on like front pages of, you know, the New York Times and all these things. And that's how people would find out. But it wasn't, you know.
0: I, I, so this this is a total aside, but I was actually just talking about this with a couple of friends of mine. Have you heard about the Hunter Biden iCloud hack recently?
1: Wait, was that the 4chan hack? Yeah. Or is that a separate thing?
0: I think it was okay, the 4chan Yeah, a little hack. bit. Yeah. So it's this okay. guy loves doing crack and on all sorts of things and just filming himself while doing it. It's just he's, he loves filming himself doing all sorts yeah. of things. But what was interesting yeah. was a few days ago, I I read this article in some mainstream publication about this, and they basically the only thing that they mentioned was in communications with Hunter, Joe Biden used the used the pseudonym from a Tom Clancy novel, and I think the pseudonym was something like peter henderson or something like that and then i watched a, a video by jp sears who actually like goes through some of the hunter biden videos from the hack and like some of the screenshots from his messages and whatnot and it is true that joe biden is going by the name peter henderson but in hunter's contacts he's listed as pedo pete <laughs> which i thought was an interesting detail no, for i them heard to gloss over. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I just didn't know what to make of this honestly. I mean, so are we sure that that refers to his father, Joe Biden?
0: Yes, I'm pretty sure. Like it's it's only in it's in group chats with it's Hunter, <laughs> Pete, Pete and Jill Biden. <laughs> and and yes, it's, they're just disturbing. having a family conversation. <laughs> So like if, if you want yeah, fuel sure. for uh, conspiracy theories, you know, there's all these crazy ideas out there that like, I, this is what I'm saying. I just can't have, when I hear someone say something that seems totally out there, I just can't dismiss it anymore. I I don't have the tools to do it. So you hear about these, like the, the Democrat pedophile ring allegations And who knows, I'm sure there's some like QAnon version of this that is completely insane. But I also wonder if every one of these conspiracy theories is like taking what is like a grain of truth and building a whole narrative around it, partly because there is nothing else to go on, right? You kind of like you pick up some signal and you don't exactly know what the signal is telling you. So you do what humans do best, which is like build an entire narrative around that signal that you're picking up. But it doesn't mean that the conspiracy theories don't, doesn't mean that conspiracy theories are true, but doesn't mean that they don't have a kernel of truth in them.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the whole Epstein thing, right? I mean, so that was a kernel of truth, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just don't know that that much about uh, other conspiracy theories. I just haven't had time to look into them, honestly. But like, I, I feel like, you have to be open minded because like after the crazy stuff that we've seen, like, yeah, that I, w- I want to say I wouldn't be surprised if some crazy stuff turns out true, but I still end up surprised anyway, but yeah.
0: Right. So how are you kind of navigating things right now? So let's say the the new thing. So we have a new thing every month or so. Let's say it's, it's, it's the, the cycles, like the frequencies r- ratcheting up. So we had, when COVID lasted a long time. It, it was a good two years of COVID. In between, we had the, the BLM riots and, and then we had the January 6th and all sorts of other things. But COVID lasted for a good two years. But then I think Putin basically ended COVID by, by invading Ukraine. And I think now maybe inflation is ending Ukraine. I'm not sure. But, but so we have we constantly have these new things that people get whipped up into a frenzy about. So what's kind of your thought process when the next thing comes up? So let's say when you, when the Ukraine crisis happened or the Ukraine invasion happened, how are you kind of navigating the information that's coming out and and taking a stance on it, or are you just not taking a stance on
1: it? Yeah, I uh, okay. W- what I will say about Ukraine is like I don't know as I don't feel as confident in it.
0: I mean, it can be any example.
1: Yeah, or it, that goes for like most of the things. I'm not as confident about it if I haven't looked into it that deeply. But what I will say is just I'm skeptical of all kinds of narratives I'm seeing, you know? And it just is, it, it doesn't even take that much like digging to 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 see that there are things that are wrong, you know? Like when you just look at how media narratives, you know, about Ukraine were before the war and then after, there's like clearly like discrepancies there. Right. You know how there was like corruption and all these things before. And, and then like, now it's like, I don't know, it's like a completely different way that they're portraying things. But I, it's harder for me to, to have like firmer beliefs in any of that, just because I feel like it's largely a matter of who to believe, you know? And what I will say is that there are people who, okay, like, for example, when it came to the Iraq war, right, there were, are there some people who were from the beginning, you know, very skeptical of a narrative, like one example was this ex CIA person, uh, Ray McGovern, right. And you know, what he said, you know, about Iraq turned out to be right, you know, that, all, that WND stuff was, was bullshit. And so let's just say I trust what he says more about geopolitical things you know than uh, whatever brian stelter or something okay but you never know though right you, you can't you can't just say okay because this person was right about this he's gonna be right about this other thing you know so yeah i'm just less certain when it comes to like geopolitical things or things that are i don't know that i just haven't looked into as much like i looked into the ukraine thing a little bit but yeah again even even if you're there in ukraine right it doesn't mean that you understand what's going on you know yeah. There, there's people who are like, oh, I went, uh, you know, like these, I, I think you saw, I, I think you're aware of that All In podcast with what was... It uh, was it?
0: Antonio Garcia Martinez, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, with, uh, yeah, him and Glenn Greenwald. And Martinez what what had been in Ukraine for I don't know how long, maybe like a few months, he didn't say, maybe it could have been weeks, you know. And then he kind of felt like, okay, he knew something about it then, you know. But it's like, no, I mean, you could live your entire life in a country and not understand what's really going on behind the scenes, you know, in like the real power in the country, you don't know who's really controlling things. So like, how can I know? I don't even fully understand what's going on in my own country. But what I will, but what you can do is just look at history, okay, like, and how we've been lied to before, right? And how the US has a history of lying about interventions. And it's not usually for good reasons, honestly, I mean, maybe sometimes, but the when we end up spending a lot of money on something, I don't think it's just because we want, we care about democracy um, because we just look at the history. So all I can say is I don't trust the narrative, but I don't know more specific beyond that, you know, and I don't know that I ever will, honestly, you know?
0: Yeah. I think the part where it becomes difficult is, you know, (laughs) there could be a crisis going on. I, I, I actually think there is a, there is a crisis going on probably right now in China where let's say there there was some kind of a genocide going on, and let's say if it wasn't in China and it was somewhere else we we might have the power to stop it in the ideal world. We would want to do everything that we can to stop an atrocity like that from taking place, but we also live in this environment of polluted information where we don't actually know is there actually a genocide going on or not and that could just be projections in the cave right and and if there was are we in a position to stop it or not there's all sorts of complicated things and i think i wish we could just trust our leaders to be able to make sense of that for us cuz I, I i think it's impossible for us to dig into as much as i support doing our doing our own research it's just impossible for us to dig into everything that we need to take action on right like i, I ideally want to know if i should as a citizen of a democratic country, if I should be in favor of a particular policy stance or not, or opposed to it, but I just can't make that decision unless I've invested hours and hours into researching that particular issue. And I yeah. can't spend those hours on every single policy position. So I'll be abstaining on most things, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I will say the only thing is that if you go deep on one sort of topic, it does give you an idea of the possibilities with other sort of topics, you know, so that hopefully it gives you some sort of epistemic humility, you know, knowing that like it's probably more complicated than like just the, what you're being told, you know? Right. Yeah. But yeah, it's sad that we can't even like determine whether, Hey, is this genocide happening or not?
0: You know? Yeah. Yeah do you think lay people can be making sense of things that are going on by kind of doing their own research? So let's say in, in my mind, like let's, for something like the the pandemic measures that we've had, these are things that, I mean, that's, that's much less like the genocide somewhere far away example. That's like today, if I want to go to a restaurant, a public official is telling me that I need to have, this paper that shows I've had this therapeutic in order to be able to enter the restaurant. Does this make sense or not? So I guess I've set the threshold at, at the point of if it's directly affecting my life, I should be doing the doing the research to know if it makes sense and if I'm going to go along with this or not. I, I at least need to dig in a little bit more than I would just passively go with the flow. Do you have thoughts on, on how lay people can start navigating this overwhelming amount of information on all these overwhelming number of issues?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I wouldn't expect most people to sort of dig into a lot of the, the literature. If they can, that's great. But I, I think that, okay, like when it came to the pandemic, there were a lot of things where you didn't need to do that to know that there were some seriously odd things Going on, you know. But here's the thing: people might not have come across this information. But like the censorship, okay, that's one thing. But also, you know what? This reminds me actually of uh, there was a recent interview where Brett Weinstein sat down with Konstantin Kissin. You know, Konstantin Kissin, who's like the
0: comedian, right?
1: Yeah, he has a podcast called Trigonometry, where they try to interview people who are like heterodox thinkers and things like that. So Kisson is sort of in that space of. I don't know if you want to call it sense-making or at least just interviewing these people who are just heterodox, right? But so Constantine Kissin, as far as I understand, like he was always against the mandates, but he hasn't really had any stance on like the vaccine safety. And he, I think he thinks that they're more or less safe, but he just doesn't think these these should be mandated, you know, and that he doesn't have a, a view on things like ivermectin, right? And Brett Weinstein said to him, like, and, and Kissing had said, like, I'm just not qualified, you know, to talk about these things, which I get. But one I said to him, you know, but you are qualified to recognize things like corruption. And he referenced this video of Tess Lowry. She's a doctor who has done meta-analyses of ivermectin studies. And she's talking with this researcher, Andrew Hill, who, long story short, he was part of this nonprofit and basically was pressured to either i think i think it was either change the conclusion or have somebody else write the part of the conclusion for his meta-analyses for ivermectin and basically saying that like it it didn't work you know and she caught him on video like basically admitting this you know that like he was pressured to to do this despite at least at the time believing that ivermectin worked you know so he's caught on video doing this and meanwhile the entire media is like sort of making fun of ivermectin and calling it horse to warmer and saying that it has no effect on covid right so this is this is really strange if you see this right it doesn't mean that oh you should not believe just because you see this doesn't mean you believe that oh now you believe that ivermectin works okay but if you see this like you you should seriously start questioning like just the information landscaping like holy shit this is like this is really corrupt, you know, and what else is corrupt? What else is going on? So there's things like that, that's, there's things like that, that the public can can clearly, you you have to look for it, though, right? If you come across these kinds of things, though, like it, it tells you a lot, you know, and you may not know what to think, you know, like, whether ivermectin works or not, right, because you're not going to read all those studies, you know, but you should at least have, like, some sort of again, epistemic humility, right? Like thinking, Hey, maybe there is something to this. And I don't know, you know, maybe there is something really bad going on, you know, and then similarly seeing censorship, you know, like that's, that's always a red flag, you know, when have the censors ever been on the right side, really, you know, why are they censoring? You know, what are they hiding? So things like that, those are the types of things like when, and, you know, like, things like, pharma corruption and the revolving door between our regulators and pharma it, those are things that sure anyone in the general public like that's something that they can learn about and find out about you know so you don't necessarily have to you know read scientific studies you know to know that there's something wrong maybe you don't right. know exactly what it is
0: one of the things that i've been thinking about in this context is you do understand people like even if you may not you may not understand details of a a scientific paper, or you may, you may, people say like people, you can cherry pick any study you want. So sure, maybe you don't exactly know if the study that you're cherry picking that has the conclusions you like is well done or not, but you do know about human psychology. And like you said, you do know about corruption. And one of the patterns that I've been relying on somewhat of, of course, is not foolproof, but if somebody is saying something that is damaging to their livelihood okay. and their reputation, but they're saying it anyway, yeah. you should think that that person has a very strong conviction in the truth of what they're saying. Where, and as opposed to large hordes of, of lemming like experts that are just echoing exactly the same thing at no risk to themselves, because those people don't have skin in the game yeah. and the person that's going against the, the, the crowd does like they're, they're doing something at significant cost to themselves. That was also one of my, uh, my working hypothesis at the moment about the origin of COVID is that it almost certainly came from a lab because if it hadn't come from a lab, there is no reason for the Chinese state to work as hard as it, it did to prevent us from knowing where it came from. So that, and, but that, I'm not, I, I don't need to rely on my expertise in virology or genetics to drive that conclusion it's just, I'm, I'm doing it based on if you're ex- exhibited by authoritarian actors and I know how authoritarian actors tend to act in situations like this, but that doesn't mean that it's a hundred percent like foolproof theory. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good point about people. You know, I feel like people, they, they forget that, you know, it's almost like common sense and like people forget it. It feels like when there's a whole bunch of experts or medical doctors telling you one thing, it's like, you it it allows them to like lose common sense in a way.
0: Yeah. So I think I think that was most of what I wanted to cover with you today. Is there anything that's grabbed your attention recently that you're kind of excited to dig into or what are you working on these days?
1: Um I I'm, I'm working on an an article. That I don't know. I could I could tell you about it, but or I could just like write it and publish it. But it it went in a different direction than I had thought. This this keeps happening. (laughs) I don't know. Do you want to hear about it, or
0: I would love to hear about it if you want to share, or even if you just want to like mention the topic, and then excited listeners can subscribe to the to the substack and eagerly await the.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'll just, I'll just I'll just mention what it. It's just about the fact that there was a paper that came out earlier this year in Cell, which is a really good journal, by the way, or at least uh, has a good reputation, showing that there, there were some people who had the COVID mRNA vaccine still in in the lymph nodes, actually, uh, two months post-vaccination, which is pretty weird. I hadn't expected that. And it, it's about that. I'll, I'll just say that. Yeah, okay. but It went in some unexpected directions, but we'll see where it goes.
0: Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'll be eagerly awaiting that article. Do you have an ETA for when it's going to be ready to come out?
1: Uh, Maybe next week. Putting you
0: on the spot here.
1: I hope next week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought it would be done a lot quicker, but then, like I said, it went in a different direction. And then you go down a rabbit hole and you discover this other rabbit hole. And you're like, oh, man, I hadn't expected this. So
0: that's
1: all I'll say. But maybe next week, I hope. Yeah.
0: Sweet. Sweet. Well, everyone listening to this can head over to jumi.substack.com and then subscribe and then get the update when it comes out next week. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining me to talk about our epistemic crisis.
1: (laughs) Hopefully hopefully we can
0: help people make sense of it a little bit.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I hope. (laughs) Thank you.
0: Talk to you soon. Bye. Listeners, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening.
1: We always appreciate your support. Please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts.
0: If you use Twitter, follow us there at Fresh Lens Pod.
1: Finally, we always love to hear your feedback. Our email address is hello at freshlenspodcast.com.